Welcome to episode number 78 of Off the Shelf. I want to welcome you to the Off the Shelf podcast. This episode marks the conclusion of, of our interview with former message minister Jeff Jenkins. Jeff was the pastor of Believers Christian Fellowship in Lima, Ohio for 33 and a half years before leaving the message. We will start where we left off last episode with a question. Do created squirrels have belly buttons? I want to I want to raise something really funny because somebody actually asked us. This was this is early on. <laughs> they said the squirrels that William Branham created did they have navels? Did they have belly buttons? You would think that if they were spoken in existence, they wouldn't have any belly buttons. So what happened to these created squirrels? And and apparently William Branham said I dressed them and he ate right. them. Yeah, they wasn't visions; they were squirrels. Right. But if they didn't have a belly button, William Branham didn't notice it. Nope. <laughs> Oh, my. sorry. No, no. <laughs> the kicker is why they just didn't present themselves as already dressed, ready to cook. Exactly. Why in the world did he have to shoot them? Yeah, I know. As he said, visions don't bleed. But because everything he said about the cloud was an absolute lie, I tend to believe that the squirrels, I, in fact, I don't really have a choice but to believe that the squirrels was an absolute lie, too. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't there when the cloud. There was no voice that said, look up. There was no mist that formed at his feet. None of that happened because he wasn't even there. And the embellishment or the generosity of the story later on, there were five angels. No, no, no. There were seven angels. Yeah. Nobody heard a sound. This guy said, did you hear that sound, right? As you go through the retelling of the story, the embellishments of that story make it difficult for you to say which one was the actual vision. And you're right. If he wasn't there, there was no vision. Now, I talked to a message minister just before I left Cloverdale and said, tell me about this cloud thing. And they said, you know what? William Branham was there. He was in a different dimension. He often lived in a different dimension. Well, that's convenient. It's convenient. Because that means you don't really have to be anywhere, particularly right. to have been somewhere. So yep. that means that if you go back to what it says in First Samuel, as an example, when Samuel spoke and God let none of his words fall to the ground. Yeah. And that's how the nation of Israel knew that he was a prophet of God. There you go. It, it wasn't because squirrels showed up. It wasn't because of any of the – it was because God let none of his words fall to the ground. Yeah. And the vindication of a prophet is a continuous thing as opposed to something as it relates to a visitation that, you know, that where the circumstances change or he was in a different dimension or he wasn't there at the time. Right. Or, or yeah. even when Moses disobeyed, God actually fulfilled his words because he couldn't let them fall to the ground. Right. And, and a, now Moses had to pay for that. But right. when he disobeyed God, his word still came to pass. But yeah. now we hear, so why didn't uh, he shoot the brown bear? Well, he disobeyed. Right. Yeah, right. it's conditional. Yeah. Yeah. See, and, and that's that circular reasoning that Brother Ram constantly used. It was unbiblical. It breaks the principle that God, when Moses spoke or smote the rock, he still had to fulfill what the prophet said. Whereas yes. with Brother Brown, he could disobey and then it wasn't fulfilled. Even that man that was told by that prophet, God said, don't go that way, go another way. 
And then the prophet tells them to do this. And the words of that prophet were still fulfilled. And the lion did eat him. And yet he was that man that brought that prophet to the other prophet lied to him and said, God told me for you to come and stay at my house. And so yet God still fulfilled the word of God at the expense. So for Brother Brown to say, well, it couldn't be fulfilled because I was with a bunch of ministers and they messed me up. And again, it does not match the criterion at all for if he's going to use the model of an Old Testament prophet, it doesn't match it. And what I find is very interesting is that, see, that was 1963, the clown. And so 73, 83, 93, here we are almost 60 years later, and churches still discuss the cloud as if the ink is still wet on uh, Life magazine. And they haven't moved. They, they haven't gone on there. They are stuck. They are literally stuck. And it's because it's a message trapped in time. It, the message does not have any eternal merit unless somebody hears a simple message from William Branham about Jesus and then Jesus saves them. That can happen. Yeah. But to listen to the theme of the message, it's trapped in lies, it's trapped in time, and it can't live. There was an expiration date a long time ago. That's just that people don't realize the milk is sour. It's, we talk about, as an example, letting the words fall to the ground and whether or not that how to make a prophet. The, the justification is, well, Jonah, he disobeyed God. We can say that things are conditional because Jonah disobeyed God. The point is not what the prophet does or does not do. The point is what God does. In the instance yeah. of Jonah, he made the decision to go away, but God had given him a commission. His message to the Ninevites was going to be delivered. Yeah. So God brought Jonah to a place where he delivered that message. Didn't matter that Jonah went the other way. It's about God and his yeah. commission is going to be delivered. Yeah. So at the end of the day, when we talk about going to South Africa or we talk about the brown bear vision and they say he just wasn't in the right place, it was conditional. If we think God had said, you will have a meeting with 300,000 South Africans in South Africa, thus saith the Lord. And he spoke about that vision 31 times yeah. in his ministry. If we think that thus saith the Lord is really thus saith the Lord then there would be nothing on earth that would prohibit God from having William Branham hold those meetings in South Africa. Nothing. Absolutely. So it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what the guy in the government of South Africa did to give him only a, a certain type of visa. That's not the issue. Because it doesn't matter what that – it's what God says. Exactly. That's the issue, right? Yep. That's it. And that's the Bible pattern that even a prophet can mess up like Jonah did, and God will still fulfill it, and he'll fulfill it through Jonah. Yep, that's exactly that. Because it doesn't matter. Jonah's actions don't matter. It's about what God says that matters. Yeah. So if God said brown bear and God said 300,000, then Brother Branham, according to Bible parallels and Bible principles and Bible laws, that had to be fulfilled. And so when it didn't be fulfilled, it was never of God to begin with. And this is what people can't accept. So we got off track here. We were going to talk about some of it. Jeff, and I apologize that I derailed you on that. But, uh, oh, yeah, no problem. So we, I think 
there was a, I have number three, it says, how, was, how has your ministry developed since you left the message? And what are you focused on now? Yes, and sir. I would say for me, it's that the people that I have found, it's not something I actually sought out. It's actually just kept falling into my lap. And that is the people that are leaving the message. And then I'm telling them, they say, what do I do now? How I'm paralyzed. And then I tell them, take the power back. It, Brother Graham stole your power. Take your power back and understand the power of the Holy Spirit and the individuality, the, it, how individual, personal that is, that it's not to be a church walk or church system or church government or even a hierarchy of popes or bishops or prelates or it, it's a personal walk. There's no pyramid of power. It's you and Jesus. And so I think that it's important that people and that's what i find myself doing more than anything else is to get them to deconstruct what they were taught like the apostle paul did in asia for three and a half years once you deconstruct then you take your power back that the holy spirit gave you the liberty and the freedom that you have in the holy spirit and then you come to the conclusion that william branham was not a church messenger that he was not Elijah. He was not Revelations 10. He wasn't the shout of Thessalonians. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He wasn't any of the above. He has zero, zero authority over your life, over your destiny, and you have to take your power back. And then you have to deal with holiness. The girls have to say, okay, what does God require of me? And they'll make, they'll make mistakes. They'll have to figure things out. They'll, and, and nobody can tell them otherwise. That's the most important thing is that the church cannot mandate externals. It's not the church's job. Whereas Brother Branham said, if a preacher doesn't preach a clothesline, he's not preaching the gospel. And I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. All I see is, is be modest. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit to teach the individual what that means to them. I find it interesting, Jeff, that you comment on how the Holy Spirit is leading you into things. And, and this yeah. is, I think, critical. Scripture tells us that they that are led of the Spirit, they are the sons and daughters of God. So being led of the Spirit is critically important. And for me, when I came out of the message, I just stopped for a year to try to figure out what it was I believe. And during that time, Jeremy and I re-envisioned and redid the Believe the Sign website. But at the end of that, I got asked, oh, would you come down and help us with this ministry? Which was a ministry I didn't know a lot about. I'd heard about a Campus Crusade for Christ. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll come and help you. And my first five minutes there, someone approaches me and says, oh, Rod, and this is somebody I'd never met before, one of the donors of the ministry. And he said, Rod, you don't know me. A guy by the name of Peter Dizer. I said, yeah, well, I've known Peter for 35 years. And Peter told me five years ago about the struggle you and your wife have been going through and so I just wanted to tell you, I've been praying for you for the last five years, and your being at Power to Change is an answer, a direct answer to my prayers. So how does God work? Here's oh. someone I've never met before who's been praying for me for five years, and my first five minutes of Power to Change, I am confronted with this individual who's been praying for me and is now witnessing a direct answer to his prayer. I just left the organization after being there for almost eight years. And for almost six of those years, I've been the president leading that ministry. And, and I just think, God, you have such a sense of humor 
for someone who came out of such a messed up background of the message to go and lead one of the largest Christian ministries in Canada with an annual budget of $40 million a year. It blows my mind, but God has a sense of humor. But he understands. I just said, God, what do you want me to do? I will do literally anything you want me to do. Said, oh, how about this, Rod? <laughs> I had a similar story. I was at a Teens for Christ meeting and uh, humbled, broken, and sitting there in tears watching all these teenagers worship God. And then this guy gets the microphone and... Uh, he says, I want to testify about something that happened to me and this man over here. And he points to me and he says, you don't know this, sir. He says, but I live on the same street that your church is on and I'm a jogger and I would jog by your church every day and see Believers Christian Fellowship, Pastor Jeff. And I knew this church was out of balance. And he said, I prayed for you every day. I said, God, either deliver that man from this cult or take him out of this church. And he prayed for me every day he jogged by the church. Now, isn't that incredible? And you're right. It is God, you are always watching over me. And how humbling it is to use somebody outside the message who has no superior doctrine, who has no grandiose Holy Spirit experience. And he's just a good old Christian that loves the Lord. And he's going to be instrumental. God's going to use him to pray for me to come out of the message. <laughs> wow, wow. That's God. It is. That's good. It is. It's humbling. <laughs> so, Jeff, you've gone through an awful lot. And I was reminded of that by Rod, that there were uh, previous podcasts where you and he had spoken. And I did go back and look at those. I want to ask you, given everything that you've gone through, What's your advice to those that have left the message about how to start over, how to be fresh in their faith? i tell you one thing for sure, and it's not easy, uh, and I can't say that I obeyed this or or that I uh, honored this entirely, but you can't drop into a shell and stay alone by yourself. But I I confess that for a while I did. I guess I just felt shell-shocked. Um, by everything, not only by the people and their reaction, but the fact that I could believe the message for all those years since I was 16 and find out that I was wrong. And I questioned God. I said, God, why? Why would you? I was so sincere, so devoted, and I laid everything on the line for you for this message to be wrong. And I felt like the Lord just comforted me by saying but if you noticed even when you gave your heart when you were 16 you didn't give your heart to William Branham you didn't give your heart to seven seals because you didn't know anything about them you didn't give your heart to serpent seed because you didn't know anything about it you simply needed me as your savior and I can say by the grace of God that Jesus did get a hold of me before the message got a hold of me mm-hmm. and I derived some great comfort from that Then two, I I finally had to pull myself. It was my wife that actually did it. She said, you need to come with me to these meetings, these Teens for Christ. You can work with the teens, help the teens. I said, I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel qualified. I just, I don't know up from down right now, but I, I would go ahead and go to these dinners, go to these meetings. I didn't go to all of them, but I went to several of them. 
And I was so moved by the love for Jesus that these kids had. And then, of course, eventually the man's name is Buck Sutton. He asked me to give my testimony at one of the meetings, which I did. And so then that began to get me back involved with people outside the message, which was so unfamiliar and, and, and strange to me. And so I would tell people, after you've licked your wounds for a while, you need to, one, deconstruct. And that is, I would say, get into everything that you guys are doing with Believe the Sign. Look at all the fallacies and reconcile that with scripture. Look at all the things that are wrong. And then eventually, I would tell them to get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read everything that Jesus said, make, and then just focus on that, particularly the book of John and first and second and third John. Look at it without William Bram's filter on it and realize that there's zero mediator, nobody else between you and Jesus. And, and then just feed on the scriptures, feed on the gospel, everything. For instance, my dad used to quote out of first john if you walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and so he would say see we're walking in the light i had to put my i had to put the bible filter on it had nothing to do with the light of the hour it had nothing to do with dispensationalism it had nothing to do with william branham if you go on to read he says those that hate anybody or their brother are walking in darkness mm -hmm. but those that love one another are walking in the light yeah. so the light was attitudinal it was an experiential walk with god in setting aside the carnality and strife that the flesh can breed and loving one another that was the light so i had to do that over and over and over with each scripture I had to take away William Branham's interpretation of that and not let him be my concordance, not let him have any influence over me and just pray literally like I was starting all over again over each scripture and say, God, what does this mean? And I would say that it's really that simple. Pray, meditate, get back into the Bible only. And I, I even limited how many times or how many preachers I listened to that were outside the message. After a while then, I began to listen to certain ministries that really blessed me. And boy, that was also eye-opening. I was so thrilled to hear different and proper understandings and interpretations of simple scriptures that Brother Branham had completely, completely um, bottled and contained for himself. Yeah, I would say start with the four Gospels, make sure you pray in the process you're deconstructing, and then get into good, solid fellowship with people that have come out of the message. Limit how much negativity that you have about, it comes to a time where you have to stop ridiculing the messenger, William Branham, ridiculing and um, minimizing and castigating and just get into something solid and pure and holy and productive. But first you have to deconstruct. Then you build like a phoenix. You build on the ruins. That's what I did. I basically said, okay, I'm going to ignore William Branham. And I'm yeah. going to start from ground zero. I'm, yeah. I'm going to say, I assume everything that I've been taught has got problems, some kind of problem with it. Rather than going through and trying to pick 
and trying to sift through the message to figure out what's right and what's wrong. I just like ignore it, start from ground zero, start from scratch. And, and I focused on what I call confessional orthodoxy, which is what does the church always believe? And and you can determine what that is. Yep. I'm going to tell a story to Rod and Jeff, I think you'll get a kick out of this as well. Years ago when I left the message, Rod was still attending Cloverdale Bible way. And I was more or less asked to not come back to the church because of some disagreements that I'd had with the ministry there. And I, in fact, did come back one weekend to the church and sat in the assembly and was basically caught up by the deacons and told, nothing's changed. You're still way out of line. You need to go away and not come back. We're asking you not to return. So I did that because it wasn't an issue of them. It was more of an issue of me and my faith. There were some number of years where I was really angry and frustrated. I finally reached out and touched bases with Rod. And I had no idea that Rod had gone through this process of changing from (laughs) believe the sign to believe the sign. And I had no understanding of what Rod had gone through. And I called him, Rod, you may remember this discussion. I was walking around outside thinking, oh boy, I should really reach out and touch bases with Rod. There were a couple of people at the church that I felt like I wanted to stay in contact with. And Rod was one. And there was another guy who was a former trustee. We did not keep in contact. But I wanted to reach out to Rod. And on the phone with Rod, I was walking around thinking to myself prior to reaching out to Rod, gosh, how am I going to couch this? How am I going to approach this? And I basically said to Rod, I said, you know, I understand that William Branham was a prophet of God. And Rod, without even hearing the butt, said, no, he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow, wow. Okay. Well, this may be easier to reconnect with Rod than I had anticipated. So, (laughs) So that conversation actually went better than I thought. Then I was asked to come down here to do some work with some folks down here in the Phoenix area. And I have not been back up in the Northwest, but I just remember the day that Rod and I had that conversation and I thought to myself, this may be easier. This reconnection may be easier than I thought it was. I've got a question for you, Tim. I did not know that you came out before everybody else came out. What year did you come out? Rod, kick me under the table if this isn't right, but I want to say it was 2005, 2006. Is that yeah, right? but and and we've talked about that in a on a prior podcast. podcast. He was asked to leave because the ministry said this is the way it is, and he goes, "Well, I think some things are different." It wasn't so much as a debate about whether William Branham was a prophet or not, as to we don't like you and you need to leave. Oh. And, yeah, and, and I had gone through the process of seeking the counsel of other message ministers and other ministers outside of the message because I was trying to sort out whether or not there was, because like Rod, nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody yeah. wants to feel like they're doing the wrong thing. And and basically the threat was, if you don't follow what we tell you to do, then you have you forfeited your right to the kingdom of God. So and- you were already seeing the abuse of the authoritarianism. You were catching on to the pride and the, the abuse of authority way back then. In a couple of instances or a couple of circumstances, you're absolutely right. And so I was asked because I 
heard their counsel but did it the other way anyway uh, was told was told you're not welcome to come back wow that's insane so then after you left uh, that church where did you go did you go to another message church or what'd you do no my first thing was to be really angry and later on i thought you know what i, I didn't leave god i left that yeah. church and i need to know more about god so I started to attend seminary and, in fact, was ordained. I don't have a calling to be a pastor. I'm not in the administration of a church. I think my calling more than anything else is to teach. But the, at the end of the day, I went through that process to understand God because uh -huh. I didn't think at that point I really knew who God was when I was gotcha. asked not to come back. And I learned a lot from that, and I learned a lot from that experience, and I'm really glad that I went through that process. But it, a huge difference, though, just between we told you not to do that and you did that anyway, don't come back. Wow, that's interesting. I, I do have a prayer request uh, just to mention. I, I, I'm going to be 65 this July. Goodness. And in, here in the States, I can... Uh, start to draw social, social security. security so I, that means that i can go part-time where i'm working so my prayer request is if you guys can just hold me up in prayer because i don't believe god's down with me yet i got a lot of life yet left in me and if i'm going to go part-time i want to be involved in things that are super pro productive for the kingdom just keep that in mind keep that in prayer i just want to get people praying for me so I can have, I want the mind of the Lord considering when July 13th comes, that's when I want to go part-time and start to consider other venues. If God will open doors for me. Uh, we will, my wife and I will certainly. Yeah, I'll be praying as well. We'll have to talk some more. There are some really interesting things that I'm looking at. And certainly, I, as you said, we have a real heart and love for people who are still in the message. Yeah. Jeff, last question I wanted to direct your way, and that is, so we've talked about what the approach should be of people who leave the message. That's assuming they still want to be followers of Jesus, but many who leave the message end up becoming atheists or agnostics. And honestly, I understand yeah. why this happens because they say, I was fooled by William Branham. It's all the same. Everybody's just out to fool me. There is no God. And he should have showed up and told me that this was wrong a lot sooner if in fact there is a God. So what advice would you have for people who have rejected everything? What's the proper approach to religion and faith based on your experience since leaving the message? And I'm sure you've run into people who have basically rejected everything since they've left. I say that they have a right to a miracle, just like Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle yeah. had every right to say, I don't even believe in God anymore. I am so confused. I, I have killed for God, and now I realize that I was wrong. And so God came along in a pillar of light and helped him. I don't say that it has to be that dramatic, but I would pray for supernatural intervention for them because ours was supernatural, but maybe in a different way. And I've had situations arise where different ones have rejected the message and then rejected God. And then God does a miracle that they can't explain. In desperation, they pray, and then God does a miracle. And now, all of a sudden, they're confronted with the fact that God showed up. 
Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I would say that they, they are deserving of that because if the apostle Paul was deserving, one of the most intelligent people who wrote the Bible, then I would say that any person that has gone through this absolute, it's like going hundred miles an hour and then hitting a brick wall. It is hard on the body, the mind, and the soul. And I would say 90% of the people that I'm in contact with never go to the extremes, but that 10%, they abandon God. Then they come back. You know what? Maybe I'm a deist now. I believe there's a God of some kind, or maybe I believe in some sort of universal God and some sort of energy. And then after a while, they come back and say, no, I believe that there was a God that created everything. And I watched them take these baby steps backwards. And so for that, I'm happy for, but I would say, I always tell them this. I said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that God reveals himself to you. And would you be willing to do that? And they're so rebellious and they're so angry. And some of them say, no, I'm not even going to pray. I don't believe God can do anything for me. And then some of them say, well, yeah, I will pray that God will make himself real, but they're almost threatening God. And I don't mind that. I'm just glad to see them moving in that direction. And so for those people that have become atheists that don't believe in God anymore. What they need is a tremendous dose of our love. We have to stay in contact with them constantly. I don't care if it's a birthday card or if it's a phone call or if it's, I was thinking about you the other day, text, but definitely stay in contact with them because they are closer to coming back. I can't remember who told me. I don't know who it was, but he said to me, Jeff, you're out of the message. You just don't know it. And he was 100% right. There's a lot of these. I want to say to them, you're coming back to Jesus Christ. You just don't know it. And so I won't tell them that because they're going through a fitful stage and they don't want anybody controlling anything in their life anymore. But at the same time, I think that if I stay in contact with them, I pray for them, I text them occasionally, I Facebook them occasionally, that's more important than anything that, that anything we can do is just literally I stay in touch with those people. They're on their way back to Jesus. They just don't know it yet. I think that's a great approach. Jeff, my wife and I have been working with someone who left a congregation or an assembly in Arizona recently. And I see two different types of people who leave assemblies, particularly young people. In there's the case of, you had mentioned rebellion. And I've seen a lot of people, particularly out of this particular assembly, there are a lot of people who are rebellious out of it. I'm going completely the other way. We're not going to yeah. be involved in God. We're not going to be involved in any sort of organized faith or any of that. And they go through that process pretty aggressively or assertively. Yeah. And then this young lady who said, I have to leave that assembly because I don't believe that what they're teaching is the truth. And for that assembly, leaving that assembly doesn't mean just not coming to church anymore. It means physically moving because there is yeah. such yeah. control in that assembly and yeah. made the determination that she had to physically move away from her family and the message and that particular message assembly. And she is all about, I want to go to church and I want to know more about God. There really are two different sorts of approaches from people who leave the message, particularly young people, about how they're going to approach that. And I think sensitivity to where somebody is in their walk, because I don't think people leave their walk with God or their walk with Christ necessarily when they leave the message. They just don't right. know that either. They don't know that either. 
And, and what they, you're saying, what you're saying is so important. It really is. What you're doing is just you're staying in touch with this person. You're probably helping them with whatever they need in their life. You're present. And maybe we feel helpless. Like right now, some of my kids are not serving God. Some of them, they've all gone through that stage of, well, I don't, except for one, I don't believe in God. And, and now almost all of them are saying, well, no, I believe in God, but I don't know who he is yet. So they're making their baby steps. And I have to be very careful what I say. Because I can't be a matter of fact. First of, first of all, they're all in their 30s and they're older now. I got two of them in their 20s, the rest of them in their 30s. So they're living their own life and they're adults. But most important thing I can do is love them, enjoy them, laugh with them, enjoy the grandkids, be with them. I think that's probably the most important. And then God, I pray for a miracle. I pray for a miracle in their lives. But in my church, see, with my kids were never dominated over I didn't dominate over them, and I didn't dominate my church. I never felt like it was my place to be the Holy Spirit. So, in fact, so much so that I violated Brother Branham's principles. Brother Branham said the pastor is the supreme authority of the local church. If that were the case, he's a spiritual husband. If that were the case, then they should have left the church, and I should have stayed with the church. But I didn't. I left the church. I wasn't going to break up bodies and fellowship and uh, many of them intermarried. I wasn't going to split up families. That would be really, really, really sad. So my kids love me to pieces. At first, I was no longer believable. One for, In one moment, I'm almost God to them. And then now I'm not believable. How can you teach us all of our lives? And now you're telling me it's wrong. And so it, it's taken a toll on them. I'm, uh, and so I, but I've come to a place where I don't feel helpless anymore. I just stay involved. I touch their lives when I'm able to touch their lives and um, praying that they come back to the simple faith of Jesus Christ. Jeff, uh, you make a very valid point, which I wanted to just touch on, which is expecting a miracle. Yeah. For me, the reason I stayed in is I, I, I have experienced too many miracles to yes. say God doesn't exist. So I know God is interested in me personally. Yeah, if he's interested in me, he, he is interested in everybody else because I'm not that much of a special guy. Yeah, um, I, I would recommend a book, people. I'm going to put it at the bottom of the page of the podcast. Uh, a guy I met a couple of years ago by the name of Mike McCarg, who has a couple of podcasts. He has a, a podcast called Ask Science Mike. He also has the Cozy Robot Show. He's the official science advisor for Marvel. He wrote a book called Finding God in the Waves, How I Lost My Faith and Found It Again Through Science. Really interesting guy. What's his um, name again? His name is Mike McCarg. I'll put a link on the website, and I'll send you this link via email, Jeff. So okay. it's a, a very – I listened to the, the uh, audio book. I met him. I listened to him a couple times speak at a conference we were running – and and actually introduced him before he spoke. And I got a chance to connect with him. And I really like where this guy is coming from, but he's not coming from a place that a lot of people come from in yeah. Christianity. So very interesting guy. I would really recommend if people are having doubts to connect with this guy and, and what he's saying and, and the book he wrote, because it's very interesting. Excellent. No, that would be nice. I'm going to get uh, that material myself. It sounds like another way that on the periphery of things for people to see how the creator, it, how this world that we live in can be nothing but a creation from a supernatural mind, a, an Einstein on steroids. Jeff, I want to thank you for coming onto the podcast again with us. I want to thank you for your friendship. I want to thank you for your courage and your honesty. 
and continuing to follow God. Thank you for all of that. It's been great to chat with you. And we wish you God's best uh, for you, Amen. Debbie, and your family. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you as well. Greet your wives and your family for me. Will do. Will do. All right. God bless. God bless you. That brings us to the end of our time with Jeff Jenkins. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you have any questions, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. Or you can send us an email at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address or someone we should consider interviewing. Thank you very much for listening. And remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week.